You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see all of you here today. Uh, Summer's in full swing. I feel I have a a word. I shared it with the first service. I just want to share just a a bit of what's on my heart. I I feel like uh, from Paul's preach a couple weeks ago and my preach last week, they kind of really fit together. And that song we just sang where we're trusting God without any borders, without any restrictions, like, like saying, God, you, I'll, you can take me this far, but you're, this is, you can't take me any farther than that. And uh, I really believe that a lot of us have gone through uh, extraordinary times uh, recently, and uh, we've learned that we actually do have to trust God. We come to that point where we lay it down and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I feel like it's a picture of like God's taking us to the edge of a cliff, and we've come up as far as we can in our own strength, our own abilities, our own ingenuity, and we've come to this point where uh, God is saying, now I want you to keep going. And you're going to have to trust me from this point on. And you're going to know that you didn't do it in your own strength. You're going to know that I came through in a mighty way for you. And so I want to encourage you to hold on. Uh, times are tough. And things seem to be getting more and more out of hand uh, out, out there. And I just want to say this little picture little picture in the New Testament, Jesus is talking, he says to his disciples, the days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look there, do not go follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up in the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And he goes on to say that there'll be buying and selling and marrying and giving in marriage and all these things. The New Living Translation says, business as usual. So we as believers, understanding that we are pilgrims in a strange land, we're just passing through, we have to eminently expect Jesus and at the same time, be prepared for uh, our children and our grandchildren carrying the torch, so to speak, carrying the light to their sphere, to their generation. So while we live expectant, we also are preparing for the future. Uh, for, for Jesus' return is we don't know when. And so I want to encourage you in that. That's why God has placed us in community. We need each other. Uh, we need each other to uh, encourage one another and uh, pull each other up. When one of us is down, the other one will pull each other up, and then the other one's down, and, and, and that kind of thing. And sometimes people say, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I, I honestly, I pity you because you're missing out on the fullness of his complete body uh, and uh, the riches that are contained and loving one another and praying for one another and serving one another, all the wonderful things that we have that he's given us. So uh, we have a message today, and uh, it's part of our series on mist. And I actually uh, discovered that I got too much uh, to share in one week, so we're splitting it into two weeks. Thursday night, I realized about two hours before I was preaching, I go, I can't get all this done. 
in one night. I could read it. I could read my sermon in five minutes, but uh, that, that wouldn't be able to be what God has for us. So we're going to take it down, slow it down just a bit. But uh, our title today, and I didn't get the ringtone yet. Nobody sent it to me yet. But here it is. Everybody? Money, 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 money. Okay, so that's our title today. Money is the root of all evil. All right, so that is a misquoted Bible verse, the Bible uh, verse that we're going to get to in just a minute out of 1 Timothy. But I'm going to tell you, money is a big deal. Money is a big deal in our culture. The United States of America, where we live, is the richest nation in the history of the world. We are so wealthy compared to world standards that we don't realize. Sometimes we go, oh, I don't have as much as my neighbor does. And we're um, comparing ourselves by ourselves. The Bible says don't do that. But um, if you look at globalrichlist.com and you punch in your annual salary, for example, if you punched in $42,000, which is about $3,500 a month, uh, the average household income in California is about $60,000, so 42000 If you put, put that into globalrichlist.com and you said, how do I compare with the rest of the world, the rest of the planet, it would tell you that you are in the top one half of 1% of income earners in the world. The top one half of 1%. If you punched in $33,000, U.S. dollars, uh, you would discover that you are in the top 1%. You're a one percenter if you make $33,000 a year. We're going to, uh, I thought that was for the, the really rich. That's comparing ourselves by ourselves compared to the rest of the world. For example, Guinea-Bissau, where they make 50 cents a day. Second poorest nation in the world. I have some friends that are missionaries there. And uh, that's a place where a 25-cent shot can save somebody from an agonizing, slow six-month death. And they don't have enough money to get those shots. And uh, so we compare ourselves by ourselves, but we live in a wealthy nation. And we start looking at those around us that they have more stuff than we have. And we forget that we're the children of the king. And we have all the rights and the privileges and the inheritance and eternal life and a home that Jesus is preparing for us. Uh, We start to put our hope in our trust, in something that is temporal. So we hear a lot in our culture about income inequality and justice and all those kind of things. I hope that we as believers don't get caught up in that. Uh, Yes, we need to care for the poor. Jesus said you'll always have the poor with you. It was just sort of a statement of what is. You always need to be generous and open-handed as my followers. Uh, but don't get caught up in this fairness stuff because life is not fair, number one. Uh, some of you are smarter than me in this room. I can say, that's not fair. Well, it just is. Some of you are better athletes than me. And uh, yeah, so, uh, but we're all the best in the world at being us, who God made us to be with our unique gifting mixture of talents and abilities and upbringing and workings of God in our life, we all have a a special gift to offer to to others. So let's not get caught up in this kind of stuff. I'll tell you what, justice 
without Jesus is an eternal injustice. And so we constantly, yes, we care for others. Yes, we do what we can, when we can, where we can. Uh, but it's always with Jesus. It's always in his name. It's always with the gospel. Otherwise, it's just a temporal fix. So here's what the Bible says. Here's that verse that's taken out of context or misquoted. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 10, out of the English Standard Version. And just once again, the ESV, this is my uh, personal Bible here. Uh, that's, the, that's a word-for-word translation. It's called a static translation. There's a couple other good ones out there right now. The New American Standard Version. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard, HCSB Bible. Uh, HCSB, Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, it was just recently adopted by uh, the Southern Baptists, so they call it the uh, um, Hardcore. Hardcore Southern Baptist Version. So that's the, those acronyms. And then there's also the King James and New King James. Those are... Good, static, uh, word-for-word, excellent translations, faithful to the original writings. Then a couple of good uh, dynamic translations that are thought-for-thought translation. That's the NIV and the New Living Translation. I usually preach out of the New Living Translation. It's easy to understand. It's in our common language. It's very faithful uh, to God's Word. If I don't, if something up on the screen here doesn't have those letters like ESV, that means it's out of the NLT. That's our default version here. So if I don't do that, then I... We'll say where it came from. But the English Standard Version, Paul says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, as we go through this series this summer, every week I'm going to remind you that we approach God's Word in humility. We don't know everything. That's why the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And we read from the text and not into the text. We don't just get an idea and then go try to hunt something up in the Bible that that, uh, goes along with that where we could take it out of context. Also, um, is this on? Test, test. All right. I was just wondering. Okay. Because people in the Philippines can't hear me right now. So, And number uh, three, we work to understand the context... And D, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. I'm going to spend a lot of time on that because we're going to look at what the whole Bible says about money over the next uh, couple weeks. We apply Scripture to our lives. That's a big deal. We don't just learn stuff, but we apply Scripture to our lives. So 1 Timothy uh, 6.10 again, For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. Um, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Paul's not saying that all uh, desires are bad or that all desires will ruin your life, but many desires do. So the principle here is not all desires, but many desires, not all money, but the love of money, and not all evil, but many kinds of evil uh, come from the love of money. Uh, the writer Eric Bargerhuff says, The sins of humanity are rooted in the cravings of the sinful flesh and the pursuit of one's own glory in opposition to the glory of God. So the sins, our sins, are when we are pursuing our own self-interest and fleshly desires, and those are in opposition to the glory of God. We're trying to elevate our own glory for everything is about us when everything is about God. And so that's the, that's the 
problem with the world is we want to serve ourselves, we want to indulge ourselves uh, through our sinful nature. So nowhere in the Bible does it say that money is evil or you can't uh, possess large quantities of it. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Being rich is not a sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. But remember that Jesus said this. He said, you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. You can only have one. So if money has somehow become our master, then we cannot serve God at the same time. And so um, whenever I, I, I teach about money, I always quote Greg Laurie. I love this quote from his, Wealth is not sinful. Wealth is not godly. It all depends on a person's heart. There are godly people who are wealthy, and there are ungodly people who are poor, as well as vice versa. The question we must ask ourselves is, do I own my possessions, or do my possessions own me? So here's what I say. I say there's nothing wrong with having money as long as money doesn't have you. And that's the big difference. So letting Scripture interpret Scripture, we're going to look at quite a few uh, passages here. In Acts chapter 4, there's a little snapshot into the early church. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt uh, that what they owned was not their own, which is a truth statement. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So here we see that no one lacked in the early church. No one lacked. And this is a reminder, it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It does not say here, everybody go sell your houses and bring the money in. It doesn't say that. It says what many of them did. And all of them didn't sell their houses. You had a church of 8,000 households probably. And there wasn't all of a sudden 8,000 families homeless in Jerusalem because they all sold their houses. That's not what that says. It was talking about an issue. They repented of their hoarding. That's what they did. Some people had excess. And you have to hold this thing in. Do I, I, do I take what God has provided for me or do I become a hoarder? Do I have money or does my money have me? That was the question there. So Barnabas, who is the same guy who was the apostle Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, they went all around, the first missionary journey there. He was a, a guy who had some extra property. And if you recall, he was a Levite, and Levites were not supposed to even own property from the tribes of Israel because all the other tribes were supposed to tithe to the tribe of Levi. They were the ones that attended the temple, and the, you know, from the Levites came the priests and things like that. And so uh, he not only had uh, property, he had extra property. So he, in faith, he came and laid that at the apostles' feet. And so that's a picture. Uh, the apostles were the elders of that early church, and so what he did was he responded to God's touching his heart, came and brought the money in, and he laid it at, at the feet of the apostles. So that is the picture of us. When we bring our tithes and offerings, we, let, we give it to the Lord. We're giving it to God. 
We lay it down, and then we take a step back, and our job is done. We have given as unto the Lord faithfully as he has instructed us to. Then the responsibility becomes the apostles in this case or the elders in this church. And that is a, that's a big deal. As an elder or when I talk to other elders around, they have to be accountable to God for every cent. And uh, it, it's a big deal. So, but our job is to bring it as unto the Lord. That's who we give to. So in talking about money, uh, I'm going to give you a couple points, and then I'm going to tell a story uh, that I haven't told before, and we're going to have a math lesson, all right? And hopefully you guys uh, won't forget this today, and then we're going to uh, share some of the things that God has given us. Number one, it's a question of ownership. Everything belongs to God. Now, this is a big deal because this is a heart issue, does God own me? Does he own my stuff? Am I understanding that I am a steward of his stuff? Because the day that I said yes to Jesus was the day that I willingly stepped off my heart's throne because of the kingdom, my whole, the, you know, my whole world was my kingdom and I was the center of the universe. That's how we all came into this world. And uh, hopefully we mature out of that and we, we grow out of that where it's not all about me. We step aside and say, Jesus, you be in charge of my life. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you my time, my resources, uh, my money, my intellect, my gifts, my abilities. It all belongs to you. You are the owner of it all and I am simply a steward. I'm taking care of what belongs to you. I remember the day we got a, uh, it was like the nicest house we had ever lived in. Uh, at that time, we had a nice uh, swimming pool and a jacuzzi out in the back, and, and we were about a half a mile from our church, and so our house kind of became the de facto Baptist, uh, baptismal for the church. And so if, uh, from the front, they said, hey, we're going to have a baptism today. How many want to get baptized? You know, like 10 heads would go up, and they'd look at Steve and Terry. You guys, you're okay with that? Okay, good. Okay. Like, what are you going to say? So anyway, we were happy to do it, and we had a whole closet full of extra towels and things like that. So... A lady comes in, and she gets baptized. Brand new Christian comes in, out, steps in from the backyard, steps in on our tile uh, floor and slips and breaks her arm. And so she goes, oh, I'm such a klutz, I'm such a klutz, you know, and all, you know how people are embarrassed. And so we took her in. We paid for, you know, our insurance, your homeowner's insurance pays for them to, to go in. So everything's fine for a couple days. Then all of a sudden, no more phone calls. And then all of a sudden, no, any, nobody hears from her. She stops coming to church, et cetera, et cetera. Then the next thing we get is a letter from the lawyer. Somehow, someway, her husband or somebody got to her. And the, so then they sued us. And Terry goes, she goes, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to put ourselves out there and then have people sue us. Because I don't know if you've ever been sued. Uh, but it's, it's no fun. It takes years to resolve. And, and so, uh, and I said, nope. I said, that's the enemy. Come to kill, steal, and destroy. We're doing something right. It all belongs to God. Uh, if everything is taken away from us, which it wasn't. It was all frivolous and dismissed later. But um, we're going to use our stuff. It belongs to God. It's not ours. So all you small group leaders who have stains on the carpet and rips in the upholstery and chipped 
coffee mugs, things like that. Thank you for being a good steward of your stuff and letting people hear about Jesus by using your stuff. Uh, It's a big deal. It's a question of ownership. It's our heart. And if we can't settle this issue, there is, honestly, there's no sense talking about anything else having to do with our possessions or money. If we don't settle this one, this is primary. It's the only point, really. Who's the owner of our stuff? Who's the owner of my calendar and my checkbook? I could tell you who's, who's, who's in charge of your life by if you let me look at your calendar and let me look at your checkbook. Now, I know we don't have calendars. It's usually online or in our thing or, or whatever. It's most people don't have checkbooks any, anymore. Very few people even balance their checkbook anymore. So... But it's a question of ownership. It is a big deal. So it's not a salvation issue. It's not a heaven or hell issue. You can go to heaven and not be a giver. You can go to heaven and not be generous. You can go to heaven and not be baptized. The thief on the cross didn't have time. Wait a minute, I've got to go down and cut a check uh, you know, before you finish uh, crucifying me. I've got to go get baptized. No. It's not one of those issues, but it's a big issue. It's a heart issue, and it determines how effective we are as believers. Number two, the tithe. We can't really talk about giving in the Bible from a biblical New Testament uh, perspective without going back to talking about the tithe. And so Malachi chapter 3 says uh, in verse 10 and 11, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, full uh, tithe. The word tithe means tenth, so bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is where you're resourced, where your needs are met. It's the barn, so to speak. And uh, says, bring your tithe to the storehouse. You don't take the, the tithe somewhere else. You don't eat at McDonald's and pay at Burger King. All right? You, you pay where you eat, so to speak. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Test me, try me, he says. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour and for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be great to have a blessing? No, no, stop, stop blessing me. I don't no, stop it. Like this. Have any of us ever done that? <laughs> Haven't quite got there yet, have we? All right. Someone after the first service came up to me and said, I actually, I have been so blessed. I'm about ready to tell the Lord, bless somebody else. So that is awesome. That is good. Then in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you. This, that's a big deal. The devourer, that's, that's the enemy. It's specifically here, it's talking about locusts uh, eating your crops. Not many of us are farmers anymore, but the devourer, that's uh, the enemy. He gets an in and something, the transmission blows up on Highway 50 and you have a half a mile of parts strewn down the freeway and, and it's your kids needing new tennis shoes every three weeks. How many, have, how many have boys and you need them? Like, how often? You know, why are you driving your bike, riding your bike down the street, dragging your heels? And they didn't tell you, they didn't like those shoes so they were hoping to get new ones real fast. I didn't say that, but the children of Israel understood the devourer because for 40 years they were in the desert and their shoes didn't wear out, their tents didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. God said this, I rebuke the devourer, time and decay and rotting and those kind of things. Stop. Like this. How would you like God 
standing over your household and all its affairs saying, stop, devourer, quit destroying their stuff. They're stewards of mine, and you stop it. God says, I will rebuke the devourer over you when you trust me. So this tithing is a huge deal. It has to do with protection. So A, tithe is bringing, not giving. Bringing, not giving. That's why we don't take an offering here. We allow people to bring it as part of their worship. It's, it's, there's a reason why. To bring, it's a, it's a free will thing. It's between you and the Lord. And then uh, B, tithe is mainly for our protection. Verse 11, where God says, I will rebuke the devourer over you. So tithe, tithe is for protection. That's a big deal. That's a primary issue there. Uh, they conducted a huge uh, study and over half of the people they surveyed said they could not save 20%, over half. So they asked another question. You know, when you, when you, if you've ever taken a survey, they just have two or three questions they want, but they ask you 50 questions because they're trying to hide it in there, what they're really trying to get at. They don't care about the other ones, um, but they're trying to get it. So then later on they said, could you live on 80%? Well, could you save 50% or could you live on 80%? Isn't that the same thing? So over half said they couldn't save 20%, but 80% said that they could live on 80%. So go figure. It's just the way you look at it. Um, See, tithe is an act of obedience. It is actually an obedience. The children of Israel were rebuked here in Malachi for not obeying the Lord in this area uh, by robbing God of tithes and offerings. Indeed, the tithe keeps God first. It, it always makes us mindful that it's his stuff, and it all is his, and he's allowing us to keep 90%. Uh, the tithe is the way of expressing gratitude and thanks. Do we really remember how much God gave us? We're going to finish off this morning with a bunch of scripture on how much God gave us. And um, the tithe enables the preaching of the gospel. The, there hasn't been one person in this church who's brought in a cow for their tithe so far. So we're going to have a big men's barbecue if you do. But uh, our mode of trade nowadays is the dollar. It's, it's, you know, that's, that's just what we deal with. It represents your time. It represents your sweat. It represents your life. That's what that is. And you're giving that uh, as unto the Lord. And uh, G, the tithe is the first tenth. It's the first tenth. It's your first fruit, so to speak. And um, and it's interesting to note that the tithe did not begin with Moses, the lawgiver. It began 400 years earlier with Abraham, who is known as the father of faith. It was a faith issue with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all tithing. And so sometimes people ask questions. I know I asked this one years and years ago. Do you tithe on your gross or your net? And the answer to me was, which one do you want to be blessed on? It's between you and the Lord anyway. So which one do you want to be blessed on? Because that's the one God has promises for us when he says, test me in this, try me in this. And so sometimes people say, should I tithe weekly or monthly or what? And the answer is whenever you have an increase. In those days, like when Paul said, lay aside each week as God has prospered you, there was a, a weekly system. It was like market day. People from the surrounding countryside would come into the, into the city and they would deal and just one or two days a week, and it was a weekly cycle, so they'd bring in that way. 
in our culture, most of us, the vast majority of people in here, get paid once or twice a month. So that's how often you would bring as unto the Lord. And, and uh, sometimes we get an increase somehow, some way. We sell property or receive an inheritance or win the lottery. There was more chuckles in the first service. Maybe they all felt a little, you guys must be better behaving. So uh, the pastors of this area, we pray together every month. And one time one of the guys said, would you, would you, if somebody won the lottery, would you take their tithe? And everybody gave their opinion. And I said, it came to me, I said, absolutely. I said, we would take it. The Bible says that the wealth of the heathen is going to supply the kingdom. So that's what, that's what we'll do. So. Anyways, that's not an okay. I did not give any permission. All right, so. Uh, but for most of us, whenever it's an increase, and um, H, Jesus endorsed, he actually endorsed tithing in the New Testament. In Matthew 23, he was talking to the leaders about justice and mercy and honor. Those, those are more important issues. And they were being nitpicky about tithing. He said, yes, you should do this, and you should have done that too. That would have been Jesus' opportunity to say, yes, you need to concentrate on these things. You don't have to worry about that tithing thing anymore. That would have been his, his opportunity, but he's actually said, no, you should do that too. So God's challenge to us that we see in, Matthew, in Malachi is test me. Try me. I, I know quite a few people who, who said something along these lines. I cannot live on 100%. I'm not making it on 100%. How on earth am I going to make it on 90%? And God's response is, try me. Test me. And see if I won't open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing you can contain. Try me. I remember when Terry and I went through this very thing. I was in school on the GI Bill, had two little kids working at Stop and Go for $1.85 an hour. Had no, and I didn't have two nickels to rub together, basically. Like a really special date night was McDonald's. And um, that's just where we were at. And uh, we took this. We knew, we both were preacher's kids, and, and we knew. And, and if we had money, we were generally generous with it, but we didn't have money. And so... Um, we made the decision to give $25 a month. That was our big step. I'll tell you what, instantly we felt like we were part of something. We felt like we were investing in the kingdom. We felt like we were a part of people's lives being changed. And it wasn't long, just a few months later, that we kind of took the whole plunge and started 10%. We still couldn't afford it if you looked at it on paper. Still couldn't. But God's arithmetic has a funny way of working itself out. When he rebukes the devourer, you'll, you'll realize uh, what he does. And when he pours out a blessing, you'll know it's him. So within 30 days, uh, Terry has it written up in a testimony. I think I read it here a couple years ago. There was, we had four financial blessings, huge blessings, within, within 30 days of when we started tithing. And it was, you'll, you'll never, ever, ever, ever convince me or Terry that God's word is not true. When we test him, I remember I was teaching my son Brian this. I said, uh, you just earned whatever, whatever it was. He earned $13 or something. I said, what's the tithe on that? 
So he was old enough to know that 10% of that was $1.30, so he put it in the offering. And that afternoon, we were walking along an empty parking lot, empty parking lot. And I saw it before he did, but he was quicker than me. <laughs> so he picked up this little roll of money on the ground. There's nobody around. Nowhere, nowhere, anything. And he, he opened it up, and it was like 6 or $7. And he, he looks, he goes like this. He puts both hands up, and he goes, it works, like this. <laughs> so you'll never convince him that God's word is not true. When you trust him, he'll pour out for you a blessing. And so remember, it's a heart issue. It's always, always, always about our heart. It's not about being legalistic. It's not about following rules and regulations. It's about trusting God uh, with everything. I'm totally convinced that if everybody believed this with all their heart and practiced it, that there would be enough resources for every local church and uh, you know, uh, church planning around the world and all kingdom endeavors, there would be plenty of money for the kingdom. So God's financial system is, is tithing, tithes, which is for protection. I will rebuke the devourer. That's for protection. Then there's also offerings. God said in Malachi, you've robbed me of tithes and offerings. Offerings are above and beyond the tithe. Now, offerings are a little bit different than you can kind of direct them where you want. I want this to go to missions. I want this to go to, you know, children's ministry. I want this to go to that we're saving money, you know, for the shade. If you go out there, we have a nice patio and everything, but it needs shade during the middle of the day. So we have a shade thing. We have, I think, $11,000 saved for it. And it's going to cost like $20,000. That that to where it is so far cost. I think about 30, 30 something thousand. And then the parking lot we did last year, it needs another slurry coat. So we kind of have to be good stewards of what God has given us, and we're going to slowly save up. And God has, has supplied our needs, but uh, the tithes uh, are for ministry, and the offerings are more for stuff, for things, for endeavors. And so we're going to take an offering in the next few weeks for Mexico. God puts it on your heart to put some money in. Uh, we want to do a construction project down there and help them finance it. You don't have to, but that would be above and beyond your tithes. Uh, just mark Mexico uh, outreach, and that will all go down there. So in God's financial system of tithes for protection and offerings for multiplication, every time you see 30, 60, 100-fold increase, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. That's all having to do with, with offerings. So tithes are for protection, and offerings are for production, multiplication. That's the stuff that exponentially uh, grows. And it's not so you, you don't give so that you can get. You give so that you can get, so that you can give more, so that you can give more. Does that make sense? It's this cycle that God trusts you with an ever-increasing amount of stewardship. And uh, I think that's a good thing. A couple points that we see in Scripture. Um, I'm going to tell my story now. Do whatever you can. This is the best advice I can give you. If I had listened to this when I was younger, I would be better off. Now, financially, stay out of debt. As much as you can, stay out of debt. Um, as, if you're a believer, do whatever you can to, to get out of debt. And if you don't know how... Come to our Financial Peace University class. And if you can't wait till the fall or late, uh, late fall uh, till we do it, find another church in this area and do Financial Peace University. Or just order it online and get two or three families to come over to your house. Uh, 
and watch it, watch it on DVD at home. But get that principle. Get a hatred for debt to owe other people. Uh, the Bible says that, that borrowers become the slave of the lender. You know how you feel about your bill collectors after a while. You feel like you're a slave to them. That's exactly what Solomon said so long ago. And then also save. It's, it's a good thing to save for your future. Not get-rich-quick schemes, uh, but saving for the future, long and slow. And, and um, those principles are all through Scripture. And so I encourage you to own those. And if you don't know, there's a, quite a few people in the church that would be able to walk you through and talk you through uh, those kind of things. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little story about a couple people and a math lesson at the same time. We're going to talk about compound interest. Remember when you were in fifth grade and you learned what interest was, all right? Now, seriously, you've got to wake up and think. We're back in fifth grade math here. Here you go. This is going to be good. If you are younger than 20, listen to this with everything you've got. If you're under 30, this will help you unbelievably. And if you're over 30... Do the best you can with the time that you have left. So, <laughs> compound interest. Time is on your side, all right? Uh, compound interest is interest calculated on the initial principal and also on the accumulated interest of the previous periods of a deposit or loan. Got that? Got that? Okay. Let's take it a little slower. Uh, there's regular interest. That's simple interest. Say you have $1,000, you invest it at 10% for a year, you're going to earn $100, 10%. You're going to earn it. All right, that's simple interest. Compound interest is where you take that $100 and you add it to your principal. Now you're getting more. Like in the second year, uh, you take that $100 and put it on 1,000 times 10% for the second year, and now you're earning $110, okay? So that begins to snowball and get bigger and bigger and bigger. The first few years aren't all that big, but it gets big, big, big uh, over some years. So, meet Claire, all right? This is Claire. Isn't she cute? All right. Claire begins saving $2,000 a year when she turns 19. She saves until she's 26, and then she stops for good. She never saves anymore after that, all right? That's Claire. Now, meet Carter. This is Carter. Carter waits until he's 27 to begin saving $2,000 a year, but he keeps saving $2,000 every year until he retires at 65. That's a good job. All right? So, at 65, Carter... Carter's savings will be $1,532,166. That's a really great job. Got that? Now back to Claire. Remember, she stopped saving at 26. Oh, Claire. All right. Thanks to compound interest, Claire's savings at 65 will be 2288000 996. Now at the back, if you want, if you're interested in the math, there's a little chart and shows you their accumulated principal over the years. 
And those are at the back. You can pick those up. This is courtesy. The math is courtesy of uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. So that's right. Even though Claire stopped saving after 26, she still made over $750,000 more than Carter. That's an amazing job. So compound interest time is on your side. Both did well in saving, but compound interest helped Claire because she began saving eight years sooner. All right? Now, learn a lesson. Start today, no matter where you are. Start today. Saving takes time. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. And lesson number two here, stay away from debt. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. So, no, Claire and Carter never got married. They never even met. They just kind of walked away from each other. (laughs) Don't forget, compound interest. Time is on your side, but it can't do everything. All right. So, that was free. That little story of Carter and Claire. So, offerings are for production, multiplication. Jesus said, give and you will receive. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So here's the question we're going to end with today. What has God given us? I'm going to read some scriptures, several scriptures exactly, uh, um, to share the things that God has given us. And the Bible is full of more of these things. Number one here, God has given us his son. You can either follow along me as we read them. I don't even think these are all in your notes. Or you can just close your eyes and thank God for the things that he's given us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's given us true life. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. God's given us the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. God has given us his grace. Paul says, I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. And God has given us rights as his children. But as many as received him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And God's given us inheritance. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. God has given us spiritual gifts. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And God has given us comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. God's given us wisdom. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. He's given us a spirit of power and a love and of a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind or clear thinking. God has given us an area of influence. We will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only within regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. God has given us eternal life. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And God has given us freedom. And He's given us hope. And He's given us destiny. And He's forgiven us. And He's given us joy. And He's given us uh, uh, peace that surpasses all understanding. He's given us family. Uh, All these wonderful things. We can go on and on and on of the things that God has given us. I want to tell you, leave with this today. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. So I want to encourage you in your walk. The Bible is very clear that each one of you, uh, in fear and trembling, go before God and ask Him uh, what you should do. Lay aside each week as God has prospered you. And then follow through. When God speaks to you, follow through uh, with that. So Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that there would not be one ounce of condemnation, but there would be encouragement that you have given us so many promises and you have given us so, so much. God, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.